Welcome to episode 284 of the No Pristinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro headquarters, aka the kitchen table here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we are racing back into the world of virtual reality. In this particular case, we're racing into the world of user-generated content in virtual reality. Uh, specifically in VR chat, and we're going to be talking with two of the administrators of what's known as the VR chat prefabs community, which is a collective of world builders in there. Um, one of them happens to be one of my oldest friends, so we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Um, for those who don't know, uh, VR chat is one of the major social VR platforms. Uh, there's a couple others. Uh, there's Altspace, uh, Rec Room's a popular platform. Uh, VR chat is very attractive to folks who build worlds. Um, it leans a little bit uh, towards the folks who have PC rigs for VR uh, because some of the worlds are built using like the most cutting edge technology possible because VR chat is flexible like that. Um, it is, I've been inside VR chat worlds that are absolutely gorgeous, that have like scripted bots going on. There's, there's a lot of complexity that can be put into this. And there are lengthy experiences that are being developed inside there. And indeed, our two guests, Fiona and Cyan Laser, those are their VR chat handles, and that's what we'll be using today. Uh, they're part of a team called Four Ponies that made one called The Devouring, which had its uh, kind of big uh, party at Raindance uh, Festival back this last October. It is an hours-long uh, horror experience, uh, sort of rooted in kind of an, an escape and puzzle games, uh, all built out in VR chat. It's got this, like cutscene opening, uh, even if you just dip your toe in for a second. And and I haven't played all the way through yet, most because you're supposed to play with a team and I, I, don't, I don't have a group to go play with. So if, if you want to go play with me and you haven't done it yet, because I don't want someone who knows all the things. Anyway, hit me up. Um, that particular project shows off the scope and scale of, of what's possible in there. I've I've been in these elaborate nightclubs and these these other game worlds that are built by other members of their teams and it's just it's an absolutely fascinating fascinating corner of the immersive universe and it's all being built by enthusiasts and folks who are are moving from enthusiasts to being professionals and there's just there's just layers to it and we're going to get into some of that today we're going to get into some of the dynamics of how uh, their community works. Um, also, rolling out with this episode, we've we've laid in the functions on the back end of the Everything Immersive site. From this day forward, uh, we will be accepting submissions of virtual worlds. So, if you or someone you know has built a persistent virtual world, be it in VR chat or alt space or 
any other platform. We're platform agnostic here. If you've built a persistent virtual world, I mean, heck, if you've built a persistent virtual world in something like High Fidelity or Gather even, you can list it now on everythingimmersive.com because we want to help people discover the work that people have been doing. That's a lot of people because that's a lot of work. All right. So just a couple of more things before we get into today's episode. Uh, want to give a shout out to our latest backer, Adam Jacobs. Thank you so much. This entire operation is run by Patreon uh, support. That's what we're in right now, uh, probably at least for the next few months, what we're going to be in right now. So if you can help us out, patreon.com slash no proscenium. That's how we do what we do. Our sustaining backers, the folks who really pour it on for us, are Ari Hurston, Brittany, Elaine, Emily Gillette, Lonnie Hanson, Paul F., Mark Balthazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Okay, one more announcement. One more announcement before we go. I want you to save the dates. I want you to save the dates of March 27th and 28th. Because that is going to be when we have, when we host, the Everything Immersive Spring Fling. This is not like an event we've really done before. And that's not entirely true. Will there be some conference like stuff, like we've done at our summits? Yes. But the focus of this one is going to be on getting us all together to play together. We're organizing world hops through virtual worlds, both 2 and 3D. Uh, we're organizing, uh, like, basically, like, a really long game night. And we're also going to have panels and salons that are looking at things both from a creative perspective and from a community perspective. Okay? So uh, it's, it's different from what we've done before. Uh, more details are going to be announced later next week as we nail down some of the booking. But right now I can tell you uh, it will be, it's looking like the price is going to be, we're going to charge for this, but the price is going to be $5 for folks who are backers of us on Patreon or who have held a badge to the 2020 Here Summit and Festival. So you're still getting that discount or $10 for folks who, uh, aren't doing either of those things. That's going to get you into any of the Zoom sessions we do, get you into stuff inside of our uh, Discord, that uh, some, of the, some of the salon sessions in there. Uh, there'll be other programming that, because it'll be taking place in public spaces, you know, we're not gonna be trying to stop people from doing stuff. And so folks know, we are gonna open up an unconference as part of this, so folks will be able to sign up if there are salons they want to hold or talks they want to give, there will be time set aside that weekend for folks to do that sort of thing. We will have a sign up for that going up right at the top of March. Um, we've 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 done things like this before, but I'm very excited about our focus on getting everyone together to play. Uh, on celebrating the work that's been done in the last year, because this has been a really rough year for so many of us. And yet a lot of love has been poured into the work people have done and some really beautiful and fun things have been made. And we want to celebrate that. And we want to get everyone excited about continuing that work 
and about the reemergence that is just on the horizon here as we start to beat back the pandemic in a real way. All right. So again, 27th and 28th, right? Five to 10 bucks is what it's going to cost. Programming details coming up. Save the date, everyone, for the Everything Immersive Spring Fling. All right. On that note, uh, let's get into this week's episode with our guests, Fiona and Cyan Laser. Hey everybody, Noah here. We have two guests today, so I'm going to have uh, both of them introduce themselves uh, real quick so that you can identify their voices. We're going to start with Fiona. Hi, I'm Fiona. I'm a world creator in VR chat and one of the admins of the VRC prefabs community. And I'm Cyan Laser, also a world creator in VR chat and another admin of the VRC prefabs community. All right. Um, what all that means, we're going to get into for all of you. I know a few of you are already familiar with the prefabs community in VR chat, and some of you have had the pleasure of uh, playing in one of the worlds that uh, Fiona and Cyan are, are are part of the creative team for. That would be the Devouring. We'll probably talk a little bit about that. Uh, we could we could do a whole episode about the Devouring since there's so much to it, and it you know won awards at Rain Dance, etc. Uh, but this time out, we're going to focus on the community that they're they're all a part of. And uh, you will find at times that I am going to call Fiona Jen because I've known Fiona for 20 years. <laughs> and it's sort of funny that we wind up here um, in, in, in this, this space where like we've got these different – we've got these – you know, communities that are kind of aligned and are like touching and starting to cross over. And I just kind of wanted to introduce everybody to it. So um, for folks who might not know, uh, what the heck is the VRC prefabs community? Uh, I'll take that one. So um, the VRC prefabs community is a world building knowledge sharing community. Um, we were founded about three, almost exactly three years ago. Um, when a bunch of people started um, digging into what it takes to build a world and discovered that there wasn't a lot of documentation and we were on the main Discord um, figuring it out together and thought it'd be great to make a community where we could kind of like collect all our knowledge and all of the assets that we created. And so that's where it started. And that's our mission to this day. It's also grown into a, a pretty technical and social community at the same time. And and we're talking about worlds. We're talking about worlds that are created in VR chat. Which, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. VR chat is like an almost all user created content, right? I mean, how many is there a bunch of stuff that's seeded by the actual core team? I don't even know. There are some things like the I guess hub worlds, but the majority and like a vast majority is user created. So if you go in there, most likely somebody from the community created it. What kind of worlds are these? Uh, I know that that's, that's going to actually be a pretty broad answer, but I want to give everyone a sense of the scope of the kind of worlds that people are creating because that's it's, it's very exciting. I'm going to say that the um, 
I don't even know how to define the scope because um, you'll have people who are uh, teenagers who have never done anything in 3D before, and then they will throw together some assets maybe that they bought on the asset store um, and put something up there. A lot of times it's just like a bedroom or a hangout space or um, a ripped video game. And then on the other end, you have people who are uh, basically doing complete game development and software programming. Um, I'm going to say Cyan is definitely at the like extreme end of complexity building. Uh, and for example, The Devouring is a full uh, like four to six hour horror game um, with lots of puzzles and and its own mechanics. So it's, it's the scope is enormous. Very, very big. Well, something like The Devouring, I mean, how many person hours went into building a four hour four to six hour horror game with with its own mechanics that are that are not native to the platform i don't know if we can actually answer how many man hours went into it but it was uh, four people over 10 months some of us having full-time jobs others just like using all of their free time so it was a large investment like very very intense well that's I, but i think that also like helps people understand the scope of what we're talking about um with, with some of these worlds um how how big is the community itself like how many creators are are actively making worlds at any given time so that's uh, two questions one is how many people are making worlds and how many people are in the vrc prefabs community mm. so um I'm going to say that there's uh, tens of thousands of worlds that have been made. Um, the people who really obsess about this, that are also community-minded people, the kind of people that want to share knowledge and, and learn from each other, that's the prefabs community. That's a few hundred. Mm. Um, and however, that there's a lot of interest in that. So um, Cyan, maybe you can talk about a recent uh, meetup <laughs> as an example. <laughs> So um, one of the things that I help run with, um, as well as with two other people, is something called the community meetup. The point of this is more towards like world creators showing off content they created, whether it was a work in progress or something that they just published. And over the last weekend, we also had devs with us and they allowed us to increase the player cap. And so the overall event ended up having around 120 people the entire time, which VRChat's default size for instances is at most 80. So mm. very interesting to have as many people as we can showing off or viewing these kind of content. And there's well, more people that would want to have joined that that meetup, but um, they their computers can't handle it. So there's a lot of interest in uh, world building. And, and by there, you mean the, the, the VR chat servers? The community uh, meetup event. Right. Yeah, so the community meetup event, um, there's a lot of people that want they would like to join, but in order to um, exist in the instance, your computer has to be able to handle processing everybody's uh, voice oh. and networking and everything. So like it, it's, um, you end up with like no frames, right? So you, you're like, the, your view is very stuttery and it can be, I had to actually leave because I got uh, very sick uh, because of the low frame rate. So uh, yeah, you li literally like you can't, uh, your hardware can't handle it. Okay. So it's like, it's, it's everybody's individual, like rig needs to be able to um, deal with the number of people who are in it at the same time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's interesting. That's part of me. I'm instantly like, oh, that's not very efficient. 
but I don't think – I guess there's no other way to do it because like everyone has to render what's going on because mm-hmm. what's being rendered – what you're seeing is being rendered by your machine. Um, yeah, the, the, the levels of technical complexity in some of this stuff is – you know, what, what at first seems like simple – you know, turns out to be like, oh yeah, like, you know, well, it's not a matter of the fact that it's, it's not, the problem isn't that, you know, the servers can't handle, you know, 128 people playing this game. It's that your machine can't handle 128 people playing this game. Um, so I, I, I like, <laughs> this is, we're laughing because like, this is literally like a big part of what we do as creators, <laughs> right? Um, how long did we spend optimizing the devouring science? so i think nine months out of that was just getting to the point where it's like playable and then the last one month i was being very like picky about like okay this needs to be running very well on my computer and i would say like my computer's like okay like above average and so like if mine can handle it then you know hopefully others can so it's like a one month painful process of optimizing mm-hmm. yeah i mean and this this is sort of the where the the distribution of the future winds up being kind of uneven because yeah i mean I, i've i've dropped into a couple of worlds uh in, in the past couple of months since i've gotten a rig and luckily i have a very good video card and my cpu is not causing any choking yet um but then i, I will i mean i don't know i was it wasn't vr chat stuff but like i was dropping into some stuff at Sundance this past week and I was definitely having some chugging happening. And I mean, I got lucky. I got a 3070 card. Like I was kind of like, why is this so, why is this chugging along? Like I got a good card. Um, and just the, the, the complexity of just, you know, designing for so many different machines doing different things like that must drive you guys nuts. (laughs) I mean, so other than like quest specific things, I don't think I actually consider like the very different hardware configurations other than just kind of lower end GPU, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, we assume that if you're on PC, you're going to be doing better than um, a Quest 2, if you, <laughs> right? Like that's just kind of a given. However, like you will see that that's one of the things that you'll see in um, beginners, right? Is it's one thing to collect the assets and put them um into your game engine and figure out how to work out like all the uh, logics and you know mechanics of what you want to happen in your world it is the next level and the most advanced people are still working out how to best do this is the optimizing so you'll see a lot of worlds that may be beautiful but like they're just so poor performing and like as just a visitor you would have no idea why Sai and I have a good idea why, because we've been through it, but it's it's uh, kind of nuance that takes experience to understand and do correctly. Well, there's, there's two roads out of here, and one thing I want to – first, we'll hook into the difference between what's on the PC and what's on the Quest. We won't spend a hell of a lot of time on that. But I am curious, because of how many Quest 2s have like gotten into the marketplace and how how sort of the buzz around it enough that – you know, Mark Zuckerberg was in Clubhouse the other day, you know, and and actively talking. Like it feels almost like the sales on that device may have changed some of the discussion about consumer VR. And I know that the 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 most beautiful and intricate worlds 
in VR chat are definitely PC, and the Quest Two has some serious limitations on what it can can render out for folks. But has the emergence of this um, impacted the way the creative community is thinking about what they're doing? So I'm gonna like preface this with saying like in our VRC prefabs community. I am one of like the main advocates that I was always basically telling people make more quest content. Um, the community itself right now, most of them are PC players. So they don't think as much about quests because they don't play on quest. And so unless other people are bugging them, they most likely won't do that at the same time, making content for quests is pretty difficult. And so like the example of the devouring would not possibly be on quest VR chat just because of the limitations, but you know, one day. I mean, yeah. are there any? In- oh, go ahead, Jen. I'm going to say that um, it, it is technically difficult to build for Quest if you did not start uh, your project with Quest in mind, because uh, you can only optimize so far, and yeah. um, at some at a certain point, like Quest simply cannot handle that many polygons or that many audio sources or that much code running in the background. It just can't um, because it's a mobile it's a mobile processor. Right. Yeah. And it can't do what your giant 3070 can do. And like, that's just, that's just part of it. And also, you know, most of the people who are building the content uh, are building it from their own experience. And these are, you know, what I would call VR native. So they have like the top of the line headset, they have full body tracking, a lot of them. Um, and so uh, it, it's a stretch already for them to think about the desktop players. Right. Quest players, uh, they don't. They may not even be able to build if they don't have a headset. They cannot build and test for Quest if they, or they can. They can build, but they cannot test for Quest if they don't have a headset. I think well, one of the things. Oh, oh like one please. of the pieces that you mentioned there was. Um, these are not professional creators; they're hobbyists, so they're not obviously going to think of like you know the most reach to getting like all the Quest users as well. Yeah, I mean, are there any incentives? I mean, this is sort of like. What's exciting, but maybe also frustrating from from where I'm sitting, is, you know, this is this is a lot of folks making for the love of making. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, are there any incentives for folks to, you know, whatever those incentives might be, to like make for a broader audience? So as of right now, VRChat, the platform, doesn't have other incentives besides, you know, potentially getting spotlighted or so and then people visiting your world. So looking at the stats for your content, the main like incentive could be like, oh, I, my visitor count is up or my follower count is up, or sorry, favorite count. But the quest itself is a large, I guess, portion of VRChat's active community now. And so just making something quest compatible means you almost have like double the player base that can access mm-hmm. your content. But the other sad than- thing is that oh. those people are also, uh, because they can't come into worlds that are only PC, those communities are still pretty separate. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a segregation there. But like, I mean, are people, I don't know, are people like throwing up Patreons or Indiegogo yes. campaigns to like, you know, you just said yes. So I haven't heard of any GoGo or I guess Kickstarter side, but I have definitely seen a lot of people creating Patreons. Like I know two or more of my friends like have Patreons that are just kind of, hey, help or give me money so that I can make more content that you can like enjoy. And so they, I would say they're somewhat successful in that sense. Like people are giving them money for it. I know those 
or three of them are specifically like quest like are going for quest compatibility one of them that's super successful and make, make, is making like purely game worlds how in depth are those game worlds because you know we hear game world and you know <laughs> like you know i'll go into like something like alt space or rec room and like maybe like i'm playing basketball or like table tennis or something i mean people are still people are still just figuring out how to make a game for vr period what are you know these these hobbyist and prosumer level creators devising so literally anything and so I, i'm gonna say that um perhaps they'll say which are the successful ones right um right. and so uh there, I'll give two examples of very successful things um, recently. One is um, somebody made Among Us in VR. Um, the creator is Jar, and the game itself is Quest compatible. And it is very much like the official Among Us, um, except it's in VR and 3D. The art style is very similar. The gameplay is very similar. Um, and as you can imagine, uh, piggybacking on... The, the popularity of the real game and the fact that it's quest compatible and it's a social game that i think is the key to to success in vr especially in vr chat because it is social and its presence the second thing that has been extremely popular to the extent that we have this one friend that literally since is in the past week he has spent most of his time online hanging out playing pool okay like somebody made a, a pool table and they executed it very well it was something that wasn't really possible to do with the tools we had available a while ago somebody did it with our, the new tools and it is exactly the experience that you would have if you were to just like hang out in a bar with your buddies and play pool and in, that's not uh revolutionary that's not necessarily innovative but it is a game that has existed, everyone understands it. It's a social game that you can play while carrying on a conversation, um, and it's been wildly popular. So I think those are two examples of like both like actual game. This is a game we're here to do the tasks of this game, and then there's the just take something from real life as a hangout and may, and and add it to VR. Um, so and and then I guess the devouring is a different one, which is like here's an experience you have and you play it, but you probably only play it once unless you really want to come back and play with other friends, but it's not something you would hang out in the devouring doing. The devouring is more like a standalone uh, PC game might be. It's called like a one-time experience mm -hmm. or, or something like, you know, like, I guess like phantasmagoria is, um, you know, phantophobia. What is it called? No, I'm getting phantophobia. Phantophobia. Phasmophobia, right. Phantasmagoria is a Roberta Williams game from a long time ago. Uh, so like Phasmophobia, uh, I think it is missed. Anyway, the point is it could be its own standalone. Well, I mean, like, is I know, well, it's so like VRChat like just like released its own or is about to release its own token. Like they're starting to like monetize. Like are they opening doors up for the creators on the platform to, to sort of, you know, have an economy of their own not that i'm obsessed with like everyone getting paid like i actually kind of love <laughs> the fact that there's like people are doing this because they love to do it but i'm all but i am always thinking about well the sustainability like how long can that last you know i mean how long can you know a bootleg version of among us 
last um, before someone's like, hey, wait a second. (laughs) That's our gameplay, right? Like, So this is a topic I've thought a lot about recently. Um, So as you can imagine, if you have a community of people who have been spending every free moment of their time uh, doing stuff like this for three years, people are going to start to want to turn it into their livelihood. And um, people have. So there is a uh, growing community of commissions. So people who um, will approach individual creators and they will do a one-off avatar world for them. The market for that for worlds, as you can imagine, is pretty small because with the amount of time it takes to build one, they're pretty expensive. Um, And so same thing for an avatar. If it's a pure custom from the ground up avatar, uh, those also, you know, would take a creator a couple weeks probably to to model and create. And and if you just think in terms of manners, it's pretty expensive as well. VRChat does not have any monetized thing through the app. They keep promising, but we're not holding our breath. So um, as an admin of the Prefabs community, however, we are dedicated to free knowledge sharing. We uh, One of the main things that we do is we have a database of um, assets that other people create, make available for other people, tutorials, um, all, all like whether it's like physical models or prefab. So what a prefab is, just to preface this, is uh, Unity is the game engine we use. And you can build something and it can contain um, a little piece of, so like, for example, uh, let's say you make a door and it'll have the model of the door. It'll have the animation for it swinging and the... Um, interaction software that makes it work in game. You can then save that out as a file and give that to other people that they can bring into their game and uh, their their scene and use. So we have those available for everyone to use. Um, once money gets into stuff, people stop wanting to make things for free. So while I want any every individual creator to like live their dream and make money at doing what they love, I'm also very scared of monetizing because it could be death to the kind of thing that we do. So I'm yeah. There's, there's this like always this balance between like supporting the commons and supporting the individual, and yeah. it 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 never seems in the you know three four hundred years of the form of capitalism we've had you know in this country we've never figured out that exact dynamic you know and there's there's often these like land rushes or are these conceptual land rushes into various pockets of cyberspace and then sooner or later you know the behemoths of the corporations come and start just like formatting things and making everything about the transaction and yet you know I'll be like, bouncing around in in a clubhouse room where, where people where where artists where visual artists are you know getting super hyped about nfts which are the non-fungible tokens and be able to like create unique digital assets that they are then selling for tens of thousands of dollars sure. which just kind of boggles my mind but also shows that there's a there there's some weird pathway here pathways here in terms of like how something like barter and trade and commerce and mutual aid could maybe be interleaved with each other? I don't know. Is I don't know if these are the kinds of conversations that like pop up in in you, you guys's community, but I, I see these sort of the shadows of these things kind of projecting all over the place. 
there is a lot of there there is no mature marketplace right now um and i think one of the issues is that in order to um, view an asset on your headset you basically have to download it which means that uh ripping protection i mean same thing is with music right like ripping protection is a thing so I don't understand how that tech works <laughs> and how to best take advantage of it. I know people are doing like crypto avatars and stuff. Um, for the most part, a lot of people are, I- I've seen a few people embrace it. A few people be like, hey, quick money, why not? And then a lot of people be like, that seems shady. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to shake up. Yeah. Um. Pivoting away from like the weird esoterica of crypto marketplaces inside virtual reality to something that the no pro community will probably understand a little bit better. You and I go back into like the LARPing days. So I'm I'm wondering if you could kind of talk to the the LARPers in our community and like the theater kids in our community who understand what a LARP is and maybe explain where the crossover points are between what goes on in VR chat and, and LARPing because you've been part of both worlds in a, in a big way. I have. And I've always been um, sort of astounded that the, what I'm going to call the old school LARPers have not jumped feet first into VR because, oh my gosh, it's built for it. It is built for it. You can change you. You don't need to look like your character, right? You can have an avatar that looks like your character. You can build a setting. Um, there is, uh, however, a large and healthy. Uh, they just call it RP. They don't call it LARP or VR. They just call it RP, role playing. Lots of role playing communities, um, and those cultures are varied, right? Um, and so nobody's playing uh, vampire. In, in VR chat, as far as I know, right? Everybody has kind so of- So far. I know, okay. right? Like, <laughs> all, those people, all those people need to get in there. Nobody's doing like- phone Night city by that. night. I mean, come on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so my background, like back in, in like college days, right? Uh, uh, we did the foam sword LARPing and that's a lot of fun. That, part of that also is just literally the being the physical sort of thing. But then, you know, the kind of tavern night sort of atmosphere, absolutely. There are RP communities doing amazing advanced stuff. The thing that is exciting about them to me is the fact that they all stream it. So it's not just inclusive anymore. It is sorry, like it's exclusive, like just the people who were there. Uh, there's a big community called Callus Row and the world they have built for this RP is mind-boggling and in its complexity and art and just uh so um we know the people who kind of were were involved in the back end and like all getting all the the i don't even know if they call it dm or dungeon master game master whatever controls so they have all that stuff um digital right and they then like each character plays their own role and a lot of them stream their points of view and people are invested in the story who aren't part of the RP. So they're streaming, they're streaming their points of view out to Twitch or, or almost probably not exclusively, but the vast majority. Are there also, cause I've been, I've been wondering about this. Are there also like God cams 
that people can watch? Like, you know, or can people set up like camera angles in these rooms and then stream that stuff out via OBS? I, I know we're getting kind of a little technical here, but I'm, I'm very, very, very interested in this possibility. That's certainly possible. I don't know that they do it. Right. So I heard that there were bots in there, but I don't know if those bots are like streaming a point of view, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. Just it does feel like there's a lot of potential, particularly in this crossover between the role-playing streamer community who are playing like every game under the sun and VR chat role-playing communities, particularly if there's already streaming going on. Um I'm 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 super interested in that dynamic between what I call like those who make those who play and those who watch. And I've, I've always been, I've always been someone either wanting to make or play. I, I, I find I, I can't get into Twitch the way people get into Twitch because it just hits all of my, I'm standing at the arcade with my quarter on the machine buttons, or I'm waiting for my friend to die so that I can take over the controller. (laughs) No, I'm not a watcher. No, I got to play. Yeah, it's like it's like, oh, come watch me play this game. I'm all like, well, do I get to control it? And 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 one day, and and increasingly, like there's there's some of that stuff going on. Like I could, like some of the stuff that's on. I don't have a PlayStation, but I know that you can like watch a friend, and then even like use your headset and your voice can come out of their controller, so you can like help them through a section. I think all that stuff is brilliant, but like, you know, just just watching someone play a game and talk about it. I understand that people do that instead of say like drive time radio, but I've never been a drive time radio guy. So like that doesn't do it for me either. But this idea of something that was kind of theatrical, like a LARP, that starts to make more sense to me. You know, this thing that is like, it's kind of a performance, but, but it's uh, at the same time, it is participatory and people choosing what level they want to participate in mm-hmm. um jumping into like another step here and this is the question that i dropped on you before we started that you said was was interesting so hopefully we can make the answer interesting um what's what's the life cycle of a vr chat world Oh gosh! Like, so, this so this question. actually came up earlier, Cyan, right? Someone uh, said yeah. something about archery. <laughs> so I'll use this as an example of saying that um, I think it was what this morning. Somebody basically was looking at the Facebook group for VR chat, and then it's like, oh look, somebody directly mentioned Cyan Laser, and it's like, oh, the archery world is broken. Does anyone know when it's going to be fixed? And I'm just sitting there like, oh, it's been like a year. Oops. <laughs> so, life cycle of a VR chat world. Um, as a creator, obviously there's the process creating it, um, that can, you know, be like however long planning to implementation and all those details, but then once it goes public, you still have to maintain it. And so it is work as a creator to continue to maintain all of your content because VR chat is also an ever changing platform. One of the main things is, uh, they continually update unity versions since VR chat is based on unity. And when they update Unity versions, that introduces bugs in older content. And so in my example, that world broke with the update on to the new Unity, and I just haven't gone back and fixed it. So pretty much 
all of VRChat content is maintained by the users more so than it is by VRChat, although they do put a ton of work into making sure older content still works. Yeah, well, there's things they can't they can't fix, and it's. Well, I'm also wondering, like, you know, how does the community sort of like find a world? How long are they remain kind of like active with a world? Do worlds sort of fade into obscurity? Are there some worlds that have like really stuck around for a long time? Um, very much, very much. So um, the content discovery is terrible, by the way. In the menu, you can see where people are currently. <laughs> Right. Right. And then they have some curation rows. Um, mm. Some of them are seasonal. Um, some of them are uh, just like the dev has has chosen, to, like, this is a good thing and we'll put it in the spotlight row. Those are usually like the better quality experiences. Um, and then there's other ones which are sorted by tags, like uh, game worlds or avatar worlds. And those are kind of randomized. The search function is awful. It's it's op the opposite of what you would think in that the more uh, you put into the search, the more... Uh, results you get, not the less. Mm. So it's, uh, it's 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 the reverse of they, what it should be. Yeah, they 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 are aware of this, and they and they've been promising us a new UI update forever yeah. that includes like uh, things like updates to the search. What's but, a boolean? So, <laughs> uh. um, they are okay. They're a very small team, right? Oh, yeah. They do not have revenue until very recently. Uh, they have implemented this VRC plus thing, which is kind of like a discord nitro in a lot of ways and that you give them 10 bucks a month and you get some small perks and mostly it's a status and support sort of thing. Um, but there's some, so worlds that are popular tend to stay popular because people want to go where people are. Mm. One of the classic most popular worlds is the great pug. And the great pug is uh, a very well done bar world based on a real bar that's in what wisconsin i think mm -hmm. um and uh that used to be the one-stop shop for public instances you just go there there'd always be people in there behaving badly usually but that's kind of the part of the fun um over time trends come and go so the pug maintained supremacy for like two years and then uh this world came out called room of the rain which was just a small room rain outside a bed and a video player in there for some reason, that one became really popular. And then since then, it seems like the popular worlds have kind of uh, uh, started to to come and go. Game worlds that are social, uh, like Among Us, and the same creator made it, um, another series of worlds called Murder, which is, again, a social uh, uh, game in which you know, they're like, it's like werewolf, kind of, um, in that like one person's a murder, you have to figure out who it is and, and kill them ahead of time before they kill everybody else. So things like that are tend to be very popular. They they do come and go. Um, and then if a world isn't updated or it breaks or isn't retentive in that way, they do fall into obscurity. Um, and as a creator of worlds, after you've been doing it a while, there's there's so much content that you have in your backlog that like when they push a major update, I have a lot of worlds that are broken and I haven't gone back to fix because like at this point, I don't feel like it's necessarily worth it. They weren't my best work because they were beginner stuff and I don't care anymore. Even if I updated it, they're not new. So who, but like now we have new people to discover. So maybe I should make them quest compatible, but that's like the, so the great pug, for example, was updated monthly by the creator. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons this it kept is stuck around. Um, I don't know. What do you like? Like, 
what other examples can you think about the life cycle of worlds, Cyan? So I'm thinking of how like Quest got involved in this. So you mentioned the Room of the Rain, which at the time I don't think Quest was out, but it eventually did have a Quest update, but like people still went to it. Um, with the Pug as an example, Owlboy, the creator of this, made a decision to make it PC only and had a separate version for Quest. A very similar world, or I guess an imitation of the Great Pug, came out called the Black Cat, which was directly Quest compatible, and that ended up like taking off as well. And so yeah, I think I've been to the Black Cat. I, I like, in fact, I think it's even been like pushed at me, or like I saw a lot of people <laughs> in it, and so I, I jumped in there. So this is back to where Fiona was talking about how the content discovery is kind of bad. But the menu <laughs> provided self-fulfilling. It at the very top shows the popular worlds, which then means because it is at the top, people go to those worlds and not the other ones. Yeah. And so it's just like if something is popular, it will stay popular because the menu is forcing it to be popular. Just a, a, a big old feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Um, before before I let you guys go, because I, I you know we've got worlds to conquer, as it were. Um, <laughs> what I wonder you know, how much of the, of the community you guys are in are starting to interface with some of these other XR communities. And I don't mean like people like, Oh, who's doing stuff in alt space, but like, you know, we now have like the, the fifth wall forum community, which is a bunch of theater makers doing XR. And we've, you know, there's, there are, you know, full on, you know, developers working on quest stuff and, and there's developers working in PC and and there's p- even people who are like working in things like Mozilla Hubs, um, are are is there like a and there's actors kind of bouncing between some of these communities and folks who are doing like plays, which is different from like making game worlds. Is there crossover happening? Is are there places where people are mixing and mingling and kind of like jumping from space to space? It's starting. It's starting. Mm-hmm. And so um, the the VR chat creator community pulled from a very i'm gonna say uh gamer centric group of people a lot of them came from places like gary's mod um, because these are the people that had vr and the people who had vr are people with high-end gaming rigs and lots of time on their hands um so you do have uh, you know this skewed younger nerdier gaming centric people that kind of started as the core of vr chat especially vr chat creators however uh, as VR is becoming more mainstream, we are seeing more. And I think Rain Dance for me personally was a fantastic uh, uh, event because I got to meet a lot of these people. Now, th- this is people who are in VR chat, and I want to preface this in saying uh, I do love all the things that are going on in other VR apps. Um, I, however, as an admin of prefabs, I have to be very um, selfish because creators are extremely rare and valuable and so we have lost people to other apps and it's a tragedy right because they're no longer making content with us or for us and so uh uh, we don't we don't interface like i'm not going to go out and spend a lot of time in hubs because i'm focused on vr chat and that's just because of what we do and where our community is um but as far as like other people who want to do stuff in vr chat and social vr 
the interactive theater people we met at Rain Dance, and the I'm gonna say journalists and academics and researchers, and so I just had a talk with a a, a couple of people who were doing Virtualis, which was um, a kind of I'm gonna say media studies project, um, where they kind of acted like old fashioned tour guides and took people around to worlds and used that as a topic to talk about, for example. Um, time in VR space or economies or things like that. And I thought, personally, I thought that was fantastic. And so I really want to connect with more people who are in other areas and not just like game centric. So, but that's, that's a personal thing. I still think that the creator space is still very much a culture of gamers, um, but it is branching out. Cyan, any thoughts on that? So similar to how Fiona was saying, like, we typically don't as, like, as branch out as much because we tend to be focused on VR chat, but we definitely have seen other creators. Like, I've seen, this was just a very specific example, one group of people trying to make a social VR that is also open source. So that's like a new exploration there. People definitely talk about what's going on in the other social VR apps, like Altspace and Rec Room. But in our community specifically, we don't go into much detail other than just like, oh, they have a new feature. Like, you know, what if we're going to get something similar? But then... Things like that. Um, definitely with Raindance, as Fiona was saying, like that was opening my own eyes. It's just like seeing how much is already going on in the space. And like with our comparison with the devouring of just like, oh, we used to be, a, as Fiona has mentioned before, like top of with VR chat creation. And then all of a sudden now we're being compared to actual creators and any developers. And it's like, oh, we still have a lot to learn. <laughs> it's a comfortable well, pond that we're in. And um, people are definitely, yeah, so like we're all hobbyists. Once you get good enough that you feel like, wow, I'm really good at this, then you realize that you're entering the arena of uh, actual professionals and then you realize that you're bad again. But I think that <laughs> <laughs> I think that the uh, the um, people who are doing interesting things um, are also coming into the creator community. So I'm big shout out to Maria from Rain Dance because Maria is one of those people that really like connected, came into the community, embraced it. Um, another person who's been doing a documentary and kind of like also socializing with everybody is uh, Joe Hunting. Um, I, we've seen him all, around a lot. Um, Deirdre from The Under Presents. Um, and so like these people are coming in and I want to reach out because one of the things that I'm talking about, like how do, how do people get paid, right, is all of these people talk about like, oh, submitting to festivals and getting grants. And I'm like, how come our community isn't trying to do that? Like, mm. we should absolutely be doing that. So so that's one of the things I was talking about the virtualist people. I'm like, what's this whole grant thing? Like, how can the rest of us, you know, like figure out that that part as well? Um, the One of the big trends that we saw this past year, especially with COVID, everybody wants virtual events. And there has been some wildly successful ones. Music events, dance events, conventions, uh, film festivals, award events, um, the amount of creativity, like a lot of the experiences aren't baked yet because we haven't figured out the best way to do this, but they have done these things and they have been very popular. And so, um, that's another thing that I would like to see more of, uh, the prefabs community. And there's definitely people who have sort of like started to focus on those things. Um, you know, we have a group of people that they were just like, oh, I see this, this thing happening. I, I would like it to happen. So I'm going to go get involved with it. And now these people are like event organizers, right? And um, 
there so it's branching out into all the ways in which media branches out because this is honestly vr is a form of media as well as a social platform so there's lots to be done in it and we just want to build stuff honestly <laughs> well that's that's probably a brilliant place to stop there's a million other doors to open much like there's a million other worlds to visit and i got a feeling we'll be we'll be checking in from time to time uh but uh for now fiona and cyan uh if folks want to if folks want to find y'all's work and they want to connect with the prefabs community uh where should they where should they point themselves Uh, our Twitter is probably the best bet. Um, VRC Prefabs on Twitter. All right. That's as good a place as any. Um, thank you both for taking some time to talk with us today. And uh, we will talk again soon, I'm sure. Once again, I want to thank Fiona and Scion Laser for being our guests on the show today. You can find their work on VR Chat and connect with the VR Chat Prefabs community. I will also have links to their Twitter handles in the show notes. That's pretty much it for the show today. Uh, there's there's plenty going on. The newsletter went out. We had 15 new listings in the newsletter. Uh if you have something you want to see in the newsletter, remember we accept those submissions via everythingimmersive.com. It goes into the searchable site and then gets processed for the newsletter. And indeed, if you have a virtual world uh, that you want to share with the community, please drop on by Everything Immersive, uh, get it listed. It is free to list stuff on Everything Immersive. Uh, the core functionality of listing things will always be free. Otherwise, why have the site? Um, will we figure out how to make some money off of it one day? Oh, yeah. Will we do it by selling everyone's data? Oh, no. Um, not not what I'm interested in doing. Uh, the Internet's an awful place, and we're just trying to make it a little more civilized. On that note, um, yeah, uh, keep an eye out for more details about the Spring Fling. Uh, also, uh, our friends over at Leia are going to be entering into a recruitment drive relatively soon. Uh, I've got some things i got to write for that. And uh, also keep your eye out for other organizing uh, other organizing forces out there in the community. Indeed, uh, forces like the VRChat Prefabs community, uh, folks like uh, Fifth Wall Forum, uh, who are doing uh, revealing a lot of the projects that they're working on. There's all kinds of folks uh, in all kinds of corners uh, doing all kinds of work, and we do our best to let you know when people have uh, have an event or some resources that you can tap into right now. If you've got an event or resources that the creative community can tap into, please let us know. We are looking for actionable items, so we want to have stuff that is ready to go and useful today for folks. Uh, but feel free to reach out to us at uh, pitches at noproscenium.com for that. If you happen to have uh, job listings or there are grants or requests for proposals, please email us at callsheet, C-A-L-L-S-H-E-E-T, at noproscenium.com. That'll get into the weekly call sheet 
that uh, goes out on the website. So trying to process as much information as we can out there into the world. I can't think of anything else at the moment. <laughs> I'm just thinking about this week's WandaVision. That's just me. And I'm getting ready to watch a bunch of the Muppet show. So like it's, it's Friday. Um, oh, actually. Yeah. Um, if you didn't know, uh, uh, Rebecca Black, like made a cover of her own song, like, you know, 10 years after the fact, and it is something else. Uh, she's got like a whole little career going on. I shouldn't say little, she's got a career going on. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then, you know, there was this one year where you just missed the internet entirely. Uh, well, okay. It was like two months, but, um, it's fascinating. Just, just fascinating. Uh, I encourage you to go, go, go do some Googling, Googling on a Friday. What's better? It almost feels normal just to Google things on a Friday. Um, speaking of which, maybe we'll do some Googling tonight. Uh, if you have access to the Discord and it is before 5 o'clock West Coast when you hear this, drop on by the Discord. It's happy hour. We do that every Friday night, sometimes in the Discord, sometimes as part of a venue crawl. And we're checking out some more um, some more interesting online venues are, are getting lined up for some future crawls. I'm excited. We had a really good one last week. We were in nowhere, and that was... That was fun. That was really fun. All right. That's it for me. Um, I hope you're doing well. Let's, uh, let's do the, um, let's, let's do the backers thing. Um, oh, also if, um, actually something, uh, serious note, uh, for, for a second here, uh, in the newsletter this week, there are, there's a link out to a Vox, uh, I guess I'll put it in here too. Uh, a Vox article about mutual aid groups are helping out in Texas right now. Um, if you're like me, you might have family in Texas, might have friends, your housemate might be in Texas at the moment, uh, and you might be concerned and you just want to help do some good, uh, mutual aid groups are distributing resources, uh, as, as they can, as they get them. That's sort of what people turn to these days. Um, and that sounded like a judgment. It's, it's great that those exist. I also wish that the government functioned better, but that's another discussion for another time. Uh, all right. <laughs> Music for No Presenting is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. That's an entirely different show. Uh, Patreon.com slash No Presenting is how you help us out. Uh, I completely understand if you don't right now. Uh, particularly, you've got to choose between helping us or helping out Texas to help Texas for this week. I'll, I'll hit you up next week. Our sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Sidney Guillory, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Emily Gillette, Samuel Mustry, Brittany, and Elaine. I gave you a bunch of emails earlier you know what's going on until next time thank you for wearing the mask 